Before we begin this morning, let me offer up a prayer for illumination from the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your Easter good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave gives us hope and peace and joy that lasts now and into eternity, and we are so grateful. Open our hearts now to hear what you have to say to us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Well, friends, in two weeks, on April 29th, we're going to be kicking off a new series focused on outreach and evangelism. And the series, uh, it's not going to officially begin for two weeks, but this morning I'm going to give us a little appetizer to get us started thinking about these topics. That's because our text for this morning is Acts 9, 1 through 20, which records the story of Saul's conversion. And Saul, as you might know, he goes on to become Paul, who becomes the primary evangelist to all the Gentile world. That is the reason why all of us are here today, Paul's mission to the Gentiles. But before all of that, it starts here in Acts 9 through the outreach of a much lesser known evangelist named Ananias. Anyone name their children after Ananias? No. We have several. <laughs> it's London. We have several Pauls, not many Ananiases. Ananias isn't as well known, but he is the first evangelist before Paul. So we have a lot to glean from this text in Acts 9. Now I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Acts 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if there's anyone here who, when I told you there was an, a series coming up on outreach and evangelism, you heard those two words and you immediately just tensed up. Every muscle in your body tensed up. Where are my introverts? Yes. Anyone? Yeah, well, well, some of us have that reaction. Some of us, we tense up when we hear these words because some of us think that we have to be and act exactly like Saul later renamed Paul, this man who we read in the New Testament goes out after his conversion, travels all over the known world, and he preaches eloquently to everyone he sees. Strangers are just friends that haven't become friends yet to Paul. Paul, as we learn through the New Testament, his personality is that he's this strong-willed, extroverted, highly educated powerhouse leader. And it's likely because of these traits and backgrounds that God has chosen him for the specific type of evangelism he does. But friends, Paul isn't the only model for evangelism and outreach. Because before there was Paul, there was Ananias. We often overlook Ananias. This is the only time in scripture when he, is, when he appears so we can assume that Ananias was just an ordinary, quiet, behind-the-scenes type of guy. But without Ananias, there's no conversion of Saul. Without the conversion of Saul, there's no widespread, world-altering news to the Gentile world. God's work through Paul begins through God's work through Ananias. So in this story of Acts 9, we glean principles for outreach and evangelism that can apply to all of us, to those in the room who are strong-willed, extroverted, go get them entrepreneurs like Paul, these are for you, to those who are more the quiet, diligent, faithful, behind-the-scenes kind of workers like Ananias, these are for you. Whoever you are, God has a role for you to play in Christ's gospel-spreading work. So now from Acts 9, we're going to consider five foundational principles for outreach and evangelism that apply to us all. So if you have a pen available or you see one in your pews, I encourage you to grab one and jot some notes. So 
Here we go. It's going to be on the screens for you to follow along. So five principles that we can glean from the lives of Saul and Ananias. The first principle we glean is listen to the Lord. Before we do anything, we must first listen to the Lord. Prayer is the foundation of mission. Both Saul and Ananias, if you caught it, they are moved to action by first what? Listening to what the Lord has to say. Saul hears from the Lord first in this radical blinding vision, and then later when he's fasting and praying, Ananias' vision we don't know as much about. It could have been in a dream, which was common, or when he was awake, we don't know. The point is, the Lord spoke directly to both of them, and they both listened. Friends, did you know that the Lord still speaks today? God didn't just do these kinds of things back then and then quiet down. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God still speaks to us today. In visions, and prayer, of course, through scripture, in all sorts of ways God speaks. We simply have to have ears to listen. Every single moment of every single day can be an opportunity to hear from God if only we have ears to listen. Do you know what most church leaders today name as the top enemy of our spiritual lives? The top enemy today? Distraction. We are simply too busy, too distracted with our gadgets and activities and screens and everything else we do, we are too distracted to pay attention to God. And then we wonder why we don't hear from God or why we feel distant from God. So friends, I encourage you, pay attention. Orient your whole life to be prayer. Always attentive to what God might do or say around and within you. Pay attention when God gives you that nudge to visit your neighbor or that whisper to check in with your coworker or fellow student or that nudge to write a card to your estranged family member. When you simply pay attention, you might be surprised just how much you hear from God. So that's our first principle. Listen to the Lord. Prayer is the foundation of mission. And that brings us to our second principle, which is obey God, even when you might not have the full picture. So did you see this in Acts 9? Neither Saul nor Ananias has the complete picture. None of us do. Saul knows that all of a sudden he's blind. He's supposed to go to Damascus and wait for this stranger he's never met named Ananias. All Ananias knows is that he's supposed to go and find this guy named Saul and lay hands of healing on him, and that supposedly the Lord has spoken to this guy too. That's all they know. I say supposedly, the Lord really did, but you know that Ananias has got to have questions in his mind. Because think of this. Up until this point, what does Ananias know of Saul? Saul is the guy going around imprisoning and wanting to kill all of the Christians. And Ananias, you know who he is? He's a Christian. So 
What the Lord is asking Ananias to do seems to be a prison sentence, maybe even a death sentence. It doesn't make sense. And still, Ananias obeys. Friends, we too have to be willing to obey God, to trust, and to be willing to take risks even when we don't have the full picture. Because, brothers and sisters, the truth is we never know all that God is doing in someone else's life. We never know all that God might be doing in someone else's life. Your neighbor right now could very well be praying for God to show up in some tangible way. Your coworker may very well be going through a rough patch. And though she calls herself an atheist, on her way to work, she throws up a Hail Mary prayer. God, if you're real, I need to experience you in some way today. You may not know that, but God gives you a nudge. Insert you, a Christian, a person in whom the spirit of the living God dwells. Insert you, whom God tells, like Ananias, to go to go humbly to that person in a posture of love and kindness. Insert you who this time doesn't ignore the Spirit's nudge, who this time doesn't back down in fear. Insert you who becomes the tangible answer to prayer. Friends, we never know all that God is doing in someone's life. So let us be willing to obey when the Lord speaks, even when we don't have the full picture. That brings us to principle number three. Treat others as our brothers and sisters. Don't approach others with primarily an us versus them mentality, but rather as our siblings and humanity, as very image bearers of God. This may seem simple enough, but it's actually very, very striking in the story of Saul and Ananias. Because you see, in this story, there couldn't have been two people more positioned as enemies than these two. Consider Saul, whose mission is to wipe out Christians like Ananias. Saul, who has likely already imprisoned many of Ananias' own family and friends. If there was anyone for Ananias to begrudge, to hate, to avoid at all costs, it is this man, Saul. But then let's consider Saul's perspective. Put ourselves in his sandals for a moment. Saul, he was born and raised in the Jewish faith. He has devoted his whole life to Yahweh and to the keeping of the scriptures. Saul is devoted to keeping the faith pure. That's his perspective. So then along comes this new movement called the Way, and it is led by this radical young leader named Jesus, and it is threatening everything Saul thinks to be right. So in Saul's mind, it's clearly us versus them. Us, the faithful Yahweh followers, versus them, those new radicals like Ananias who are turning the world upside down. Can you empathize with both of them? Can you feel the tension, the hatred, the disgust that must have existed between Ananias and Saul? 
And what is God's response to all of this? God tells Ananias, go to Saul. Not to fight him, not to argue with him, but to heal him. And God says to Saul, welcome this follower of the way. This guy that you think is your enemy, accept what he has to offer to you in word and deed. In other words, God tells Paul and Ananias both, rise above your divisions, your judgments, your hatred, and move toward one another in love. And friends, God calls us to do the same. Now, this is a really striking part of the story that you probably just gloss over when you first read it, but it's really moving. When Ananias first meets Saul, this terrorizer of his people, did you hear how Ananias greets him? Brother Saul. Brother Saul. I'm sure he had a lot of other words that he would have chosen if it was up to him, like you jerk or other four-letter expletives. But he doesn't, does he? Even after all that Saul has done, he calls him brother. Friends, this is before Saul is baptized. This is before Saul has started declaring Jesus as God's son. Before all of that, Ananias calls him brother. That's huge. And God invites us to do the same. Can we approach others not through an us versus them mentality, but first and foremost as our brothers and sisters, all created by God in God's image? Just like Saul and Ananias, we might be shocked to find that God might want to use a person we once viewed as our enemy to bless us, to further God's mission. Because remember, you never know all that God might be doing in someone else's life. That brings us to our fourth principle, which is get up and go. (laughs) Amen. Get up and go. These are the Lord's exact words to Ananias. The exact words, get up and go. Go look for Saul. And to Saul, the Lord says, get up And enter the city. Enter the city where Ananias lives. In other words, don't just sit around waiting for them to come to you. Get up and go. And that is what the Lord calls us to as well. Friends, there was a time in the history of the church in America in the 50s and 60s, even somewhat even up until the early 90s, when it was effective enough sometimes to simply put up a sign or send out a flyer or just generally expect people to be looking for a church. But folks, that's not the way it is anymore. It's not the way it was with the early church. Lots of research today and our own personal experiences attest to that, doesn't it? God's call to us is the same as it was to Paul and Ananias. It is the same that it has been to so many disciples throughout time and space. And that call is to get up and go. Go to the people. It might be as simple as getting up and going to your co-worker's desk. Or walking across the hall to your friend's locker. Or going to your neighbor's house. Or going to that part of town that you usually avoid, get up and go. 
And as Saul and Ananias did, go in a posture of humility and love with the desire to bring healing. I recently read a beautiful story that demonstrates these four principles. It's in uh, James Bryan Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful Life. So in the early 1990s in East Los Angeles, gang violence erupted. You may, if you lived through the 90s, may have heard of this. And in Los Angeles, there was all sorts of gang violence. So eight gangs um, particular that were comprised of mostly teenagers they got in some brutal conflict in this one community, and in the center of that community was a church, a church called the Dolores Mission Catholic Church. And so all around this church, killings and injuries were happening daily. It was the neighbors, the family members, the friends of this church. Killings and injuries happening daily. And you can imagine that it would have been so easy for members of this church to be so angry and resentful towards these gang members, right? You can imagine the us versus them mentality that arose, these teens that are causing all this violence and ruckus versus us good people who are here in church just trying to do the right thing. You can imagine some of the rhetoric that arose. If those kids were only in church, then they would act right. But as you can imagine, no amount of cool flyers and spiffy programs is going to bring rival gang members into an old church building. But one evening, the Lord spoke. A group of women were gathered in that church for prayer and for Bible study. Principle number one, listen to the Lord. One of the women during the study, she heard the Lord telling her that they should get up and go to the streets where the gangs were fighting. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense, right? To enter a brutal war zone. But these women obeyed anyway. Principle number two, be willing to obey even when you don't have the full picture. So that very night, in the midst of gunshots, 70 women get up, and they make a procession from one neighborhood to another. They don't come chastising and reprimanding, but rather they come in love, treating these teens as their own kin. Principle number three, treat others as our brothers and sisters. And what do we do for our family members? We feed them. We enjoy time with them. So they brought food and guitars. So they sat amidst the gangs and ate chips and salsa and drank Cokes, and they started singing songs and the gang members get completely disoriented. They are baffled, and the war zones grow silent. And this is what happens. I'm going to read just the rest of it from the book itself. So each night the women walked, night after night. By nonviolently intruding and intervening, they broke the rules of war. The old script of retaliation and escalating violence was challenged and changed. It is no accident that the women christen their nighttime journeys as love walks. As the relationships between the women and the gang members grew, the kids began to tell their stories. Anguish over lack of jobs. Anger at police brutality they had experienced. Rage over the hopelessness of poverty. 
So together, the women and the gangs, they developed a tortilla factory, a bakery, a childcare center, a job training program, a class on conflict resolution, a school for further learning, a neighborhood group to monitor and report misbehavior, and more. And it all began when these women were willing to obey the Lord's call to get up and go. The gang violence ceased. And I can imagine that over time, these teens who began to trust these women, they began to be open to hearing why. Why were these women willing to risk their lives? Why give so much time and energy? Why love so selflessly? That why, of course, is Jesus Christ. Friends, let's remember that Jesus didn't just sit around waiting for us to come to him. Jesus first took the initiative and came to us. Didn't only come, but suffered and died for us. And that is the model that Christ calls us to follow. It is the model that those women followed. To get up and go. And finally, in closing, be willing to change. To place God's priority over personal preferences. So the women in Los Angeles, they had to be willing to change, right? They had to change the ways that they spent their time and energy, less focused on themselves, more focused on their neighbors. They had to change their approach to the community. I'm sure they would have much preferred to stay safe and comfortable, huddled inside their church. I know I would have. They would have preferred to have the gang members come to them just asking for answers rather than entering the dangerous streets. I'm sure the woman would would have preferred to just keep doing what was known and safe and comfortable. And yet these women knew that their preferences had to take a back seat to the priority. And the priority was reaching these gang members with gospel peace. These women were following the model of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in the garden before he went to the cross? He prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He would have preferred from an earthly standpoint not to go through that. And yet, Christ surrenders his earthly preferences. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And all of this Christ did so that the triune's God's top priority would be fulfilled. Gospel peace. Salvation offered to all. This is the model that Saul and Ananias followed. They were willing to change their perspectives. Ananias to view Saul as his brother. Saul to view this new radical movement called the way as the true work of the Lord. As for Saul, as we read on in the New Testament, we learn that there's a lot more laying down of earthly preferences to come. Right after this passage, if you follow along in your Bible, verse 23, what we read is, after some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Well, that's a radical shift persecutor to the persecuted and that continues for the rest of paul's life persecution from the outside by jewish leaders and romans and persecution from the inside by fellow christians who questioned his authority and methods he moved from the persecutor to the persecuted from a worldly perspective friends saul's life would have been a lot easier if he had never changed 
Let's be honest, if he had stayed with the way he was going, with his own preferences for comfort and ease and power, if he had never changed, if he had never done outreach or evangelism, his life would have stayed a lot simpler from an earthly perspective. But that wasn't the priority. That's not God's priority. Because once he met Jesus, Saul's priority became Christ's priority, and Christ's priority is spreading the good news of salvation to all the world that God so loves. And here's the trick, my friends. When we lay down our preferences for God's priority, that is where we actually find what we've wanted all along. That is where we find lasting joy and peace and hope. As you'll read in Saul's Saul turned Paul's letters. He experiences joy unlike he has ever experienced before because he was willing to place first God's priority of salvation to all the world. He was willing to place first God's kingdom, not Saul's kingdom. So friends, I invite us, may we be like Saul and Ananias, like Jesus Christ before them. May we listen to the Lord, obey God, Be willing to get up and go, treating all others with love and respect. And be willing to place God's priorities above all else. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your Lord Jesus Christ who has opened up the gates of salvation. Holy Spirit, grant us courage and strength to be your disciples who make disciples, spreading the good news in word and deed to all the world that God so loves, so that all may come to declare, as Saul did, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen.